Hello and welcome to Open School of Business. Today I have a pleasure to introduce you to Rohit Talvar. He's the founder of the company called Fast Future. Uh, it's a publishing company and um, uh, it's a think tank providing clients with research-based insights on future trends and drivers that help drive strategy and innovation. So today I'm very excited because I think our conversation can help the business owners to see and anticipate what the future holds uh, post-COVID-19 and uh, uh, what can be done to become more effective, more efficient and more profitable. Uh, welcome Rohit. Thank you so much for having me on the program. It's a pleasure to be here. Uh, yes, and I think uh, you have a lot to say about what the future holds, uh, especially since you've just published a book about post-pandemic um, opportunities and uh, how the world is going to be different. Uh, so maybe we can start off um, by you sharing about it and what are the key insights that you've seen recently in this recent developings. Thank you, Anna. Well, the book is called Aftershocks and Opportunities, Scenarios for a Post-Pandemic Future. And how it came about was that uh, in March of this year, we could really see how devastating the pandemic and the resulting social and economic challenges would be. And our entire speaking business was wiped out because we had bookings all around the world to talk to business leaders and all of that was cancelled. And so we had a little bit of time on our hand whilst people were getting their act together and just working out how they were going to operate in lockdown. The last thing they wanted to do was to be talking to a futurist. So we thought that the best thing to do would be to try and help those clients in three months time because we knew that by about June, people would be coming out of the, the lockdowns, trying to restart their businesses and trying to think about how they navigate through the next stages of the pandemic and beyond. And so we went out to future thinkers around the world and asked them to contribute chapters to the book. And we were hoping for maybe 40 or 50 contributions, but what we actually got was 115 chapters submitted and we took the very best of those and we've split them into two books the first of which was published on june the first which is aftershocks and opportunities and the second will come out in september and we look at four different themes in the first book we explore the critical shifts and scenarios that are emerging Secondly, we look at the impacts for society and social policy. We then have quite a deep dive on what the challenges and opportunities are around government and economy. <clears throat> and finally, we look at the implications for the future of business and the way in which we use technology. And so the book really tries to help business leaders, government leaders and individuals Think about how do we navigate this very uncertain world? Uh, I think it certainly is very important and timely and relevant. Um, so I encourage our audience to um, check it out. 
And uh, you've been saying about the society impact and uh, we've had quite a bit discussions on this podcast about how people are uniting together against this pandemic and uh, the understanding is expanding. However, in the recent events, uh, it seems like the whole, um, uh, the lockdown and the pandemic, um, the disparity in terms of um, a racial impact of the pandemic on the jobs lost, um, also even on the number of rates, uh, the death rates on of COVID-19 on the uh, black and brown populations and immigrant populations in general um, around the world, I think has been uh, higher. And uh, uh, you know about the demonstrations that we've been having in the US. It seems like um, the society is really dividing up and we're facing a lot of issues. Uh, so are there any chapters that talk about the inequalities and uh, what can we do about them? And maybe just your personal opinion about uh, what should be done, how this situation can be improved. Yeah, well, I think the, the first place to start is to say that there isn't one future. And so we actually have to think about the different possible futures that might play out and the implications for those, if you like, who've been underserved in the current scenario. And what we know is that uh, generally poor people, those with limited incomes or no incomes, those who basically earn what they eat each day and who live in the poorest accommodation have been very badly hit. In a lot of Western nations, that's tended to be black and minority ethnic uh, communities. And, and so they have been very overrepresented. Even amongst the medical staff, they've been heavily overrepresented in terms of infections and deaths. And so when we look forward, we've got to think about, well, what would we do under different scenarios? Not just on the social issues, but on everything in terms of planning our business, organizing our government response, but also as individuals, what's our plan for the future, depending on what plays out. And we see four different scenarios, depending on what happens under with the pandemic and the economic recovery. So the worst case scenario is where you have a pandemic that really carries on till 2022, 2023, before there's an effective vaccine, very high infection and death rates, lots of secondary tertiary and and subsequent peaks in certain countries, and a very slow economic recovery that again doesn't happen until 2023. So that's the worst case scenario. And we have to think about what would we do? How would we respond in that scenario? And how would we serve those who are least well served today in that scenario? And how do we protect them, their rights and their opportunities? The second scenario is one where uh, we have a poorly controlled pandemic, but we decide to try and open up our economies and really drive for growth. And in that scenario, I think what you'll see is a separation where governments effectively try and put some physical distancing between what they see as the wealth creators and the people working in those businesses who might get early access to the testing and the vaccination when it comes, 
and then basically selectively locking down certain areas, quarantining certain areas where there are higher infection rates and higher death rates. And that's all, you know, typically going to be the areas with the poorest housing, the lowest incomes. Often that's where a lot of minorities and immigrants live. So in that scenario, it feels like they're going to be very badly served. And we have to think about how do we avoid that? The third scenario is where we get the pandemic under control, but we trade off the economy in order to do that. So we really focus on locking it down, eradicating it, and we just accept that the economy is going to take a hit and it's going to take longer to recover. In that scenario, those people could be better protected, get better care, but they may well lose their job. So the question is, how do you support them financially? And then the best case scenario is one where we get the pandemic under control quickly, maybe get a vaccine in place by next year and really start to eliminate it from society, which really allows us to open up people to go back to work with more confidence, businesses to start up again and to invest. And we would see a faster return to growth. And we would hope that by 2022, we would be back to the same kind of level of economy as we had in 2019. In that scenario, hopefully those underserved people get more access to resources, but also more job opportunities are created. And critically, they're getting the retraining to enable them to take the jobs in the new industries that are coming through. I think across society, we're seeing that there's both communities coming through, but also a a set of generations coming through who are very awake. They understand what's going on. They understand how to communicate using social media, how to use the power of process. Uh, they are angry about what's happened and what's happening to those people. And they're not going to take it. And they're going to get out in the street. They're going to protest. And they're being very effective. They're driving change. Uh, whether it's changes in police forces, whether it's resource provision, in the UK, they've just announced a commission to look into uh, what's been happening for black and minority ethnic people. We had uh, a footballer launch a campaign earlier this week to protest against the government not providing free meals to the poorest of children during the school holidays. Yesterday, the prime minister changed his mind completely and said, no, we're going to do that. And it was because this footballer had 2 million plus followers on social media. And he was able to mobilize them. He's only 22, young black guy, well liked, but he was very articulate. And I think we're gonna see more and more of that where people in the public eye are gonna use their platform to argue for causes, to put the spotlight on and to put real pressure on governments to change the conditions, to make the choices, to provide better education, to ensure there's better housing, to ensure that there's access to opportunity and to provide the basic kind of support mechanisms, healthcare, education, sanitation, that allows people to move out of poverty and gradually advance themselves. Learning is critical to this. I think in any of the scenarios, the rate at which we're learning, whether we're governments, we're businesses or individuals will be critical. Yeah, I agree about learning a lot. And I, I thank you so much for a very detailed analysis of what's going on and what is ahead. 
and in these scenarios, um, I'm so happy that <clears throat> nowadays the influencers are finally uh, getting a chance to uh, use their influence with mindfulness and with empathy and with a, a really great impact on society. Uh, I think as an individual and as a business owner, everyone should think about all these four uh, and uh, create a plan for their business in terms of uh, what could be the best, the most profitable and the long-term uh, success providing strategy. And since you've been in strategy for a long time, uh, is there any advice that you would share with the business owners right now or even with a professional from a corporate world that may have been uh, laid off or between jobs to see uh, what can they do today to either requalify to a different job where the demand is higher um, or find their own niche even in these difficult times to actually uh, go uh, for the bigger, brighter future for their own business. Right. Uh, well, thank you. Um, I would like to split that in two. I think let's start with the business owners. The harsh reality for a lot of businesses is that times are tough. The market is recovering very slowly in many cases. And there's a lot of uncertainty about whether and when business will return to the levels we were seeing in 2019. And so there's the obvious things to do, which is around looking at your cost base, having deep conversations with your current customers to understand how they're seeing the world, what their expectations are of how long it will take them to recover, what they're doing to recover, what their needs might be going forward. That's one piece. The second is to be looking for what the opportunities are there are out there in the marketplace. Where is the money being spent? Because we know some economies have shrunk 10, maybe 20% in the last quarter. But that still means there's a huge chunk of the economy still active. So it's about looking at, well, where is the money? Where are people spending money? Where are services still being bought or products still being bought? And can we take what we do today and target it at those offerings? Or can we change it? Uh, I'll give you an example. A friend of mine runs a cleaning business, very successful cleaning business. He only launched it uh, about a year and a half ago. But when the stay-at-home or lockdown orders started, all his clients stopped calling him because they were offices and workplaces that were shut down. So he very quickly repositioned to say, no, what we'll do is, is learn how to clean to the highest standards around antibacterial cleansing and disinfection for the spaces that are staying open, but also in also providing the, the micro back, uh, the, the antibacterials coatings that would go onto chairs and surfaces. And he went out and he really targeted building sites to understand what their needs were on these construction sites around clean, cleanliness, around protection. And very quickly, he was able to build up an offering and within weeks started to be seen as a specialist in 
anti-COVID cleansing and anti-COVID protection. And now he's looking at having a potentially record year because as businesses open up, they're coming to him and saying, well, can you take us on and give us the most thorough initial cleanse and then a regular cleanse? And because he invested the time in repositioning, he's done very well out of it. And I think it's, it's looking at what are we good at? How can we take that into new markets? But also what else can we learn or, or how can we adapt to go after what's necessary? So another example we've seen was people who are doing high-end fashion and uh, designer dresses and wedding gowns. Almost no demand when things lock down. Uh, a lot of them transferred into creating uh, protective equipment, uh, um, protective clothing for hospitals and essential workers, but also creating high protection workwear. So when people went back to work in factories, they were able to use more highly protected clothing. So I think it is about being imaginative, being entrepreneurial, finding those opportunities, searching, learning about how to target them, experimenting with different business models, experimenting with different routes to market, seeing who you can partner with. The key is to keep moving, to keep trying ideas, to keep experimenting until you find something that seems right for you. I can't obviously speak for every sector that might be listening, but the challenge is to stay open and to stay innovative and flexible. For the individual, that's, that's brilliant. Yeah. For the individual, there's a different strategy. For the individual, it, it, it's about learning. Learning becomes everything. Obviously, for the business, learning's key as well. But the, for the individual, it's about saying, well, okay, what am I going to do next? And that's a combination of things, which is saying, what am I interested in, but also what's changing in the world? So I might have been a lawyer, I might have been a manager, I might have been a cashier in a bank, who knows what my role was. But it's unlikely that I'm going to get the same job again. So I have to start looking at, well, where are the opportunities? Where is the growth again? What are the kinds of jobs available in those sectors? What are the new sectors coming through, which are getting investment, which are recruiting and are likely to grow. And that's things like you know, synthetic biology, all of the new Green Deal technologies as we try and green our homes, convert waste to power, use solar power, all those kinds of things. So there's a lot of jobs going to be created in those industries. So we need to be using the internet as a really powerful resource to, to start learning about those industries, learning about the jobs and the opportunities, and then looking at the skill sets required. And then from there, we need to retrain ourselves to acquire the capabilities we need, both the technical know-how, but also the interpersonal skills, the collaboration skills, the problem-solving skills, the things that make you more and more valuable in a workplace and allow you to move from job to job. And the great thing is right now, almost any training you want is available for free on the internet. Even the most prestigious universities like Harvard are offering free education. You can take courses in entrepreneurship, in data mining, in artificial intelligence, in synthetic biology, in all sorts of things. They'll provide the courses for free. You only pay if you want the certificate. But if you just want the, the learning, you can get that. And then there are lots of people doing these so-called micro-credentials where you do a small unit, you get a certificate for that so you can show an employer that you've you've had the relevant learning 
And there is so much that's free out there. And whether you want to go and work for someone else or learn how to develop your own business, you might see an opportunity in the marketplace or you might have a passion for something. You might have a passion, for example, for handmade uh, leather goods, recycling old leather goods that have been thrown away. Well, you can work out how to create your business and then think about how do I market it? How do I, how do I get my voice heard and stand out from the crowd? Part of that is obviously having a good website, being active on social media, blogging, getting your friends and family and everyone around you to communicate what you're doing to their networks. Critical in all of this is looking at how you motivate yourself and who do you surround yourself with for advice. Don't go to the people who'll take the wind out of your sails, who'll tell you why you can't do it. Go to the people who want you to succeed, who'll encourage you, who'll ask you what you've learned from what you've just done and what you plan to do next. And we'll keep asking you about what are you going to do next? What are you going to do next? Providing you with the motivation to just keep going, keep going. And I think that's also valuable if you're a business owner already is, is looking at who is your honorary board of directors who are going to keep pushing you, keep asking you good questions, giving you bits of useful advice, and then challenging you to think about what you're going to do next and then holding yourself accountable to go back and tell them what you've done. That's a great way of maintaining momentum, maintaining our own personal motivation in the middle of what is quite a bleak crisis. I think the feel-good factor has gone for a lot of people. There's no point just hoping uh, that things will get better because hope is a terrible strategy. What we need is, whilst we can hope for the best, we've got to plan for the worst. And what we've got to do is be really willing to act, experiment, try things. At the individual level, you might start a course and discover you don't like it or it's not for you. That's great because it hasn't cost you anything, but it's also helped you work out what you might want. And I think now is that time for people to be taking risks, doing experiments, whether it's how we reposition our business or how do I reposition brand me in order to find what I want to do next, learn the relevant skills, and then either go out and find the opportunities or create my own business? Yes, I think um, it's um, amazing how much learning can be done for free nowadays. And uh, so many different examples of how businesses can pivot is just really brilliant and shows how we can all be so creative and uh, the critical thinking can help us go through any crisis. And, There's uh, also interesting opportunities yeah. that come up that perhaps wouldn't have been there before. So last week I was being interviewed by a journalist and she just wanted to tell me a story at the end about her son. He's 17. He's obsessed with luxury watches. He can't afford one, but he was wondering what he was going to do next. And so he decided to set up a website that just talks about these luxury watches. And he approached luxury watch dealers around the world. Now, normally these people would tell him to go away because they'd be very happy with the custom that walks in the door. And normally if you're selling high-end watches, you sell most of them by people coming in or sending their assistant to come in and buy the watch. But now they've got no customers coming. Their shops are shut. So he was able to persuade a whole bunch of them to advertise on his website so that they could generate traffic 
from the digital medium because they weren't so sure about setting up their own websites. So he's actually created quite a successful business very quickly. And the only real outlay was for the website hosting. And that's one of those really inspiring stories for me of someone who spotted an opportunity around their passion and then gone out and made it happen and uh, has, has seen some instant gratification because they're filling a niche that's there in the marketplace. There's a gap in the market that they can go and serve well. And many times you don't have to, you know, you don't have to be deterred because there's someone else in that gap. Some of the gaps are huge. One of the things that I've seen in this downturn is there's a huge lack of IT skills in the community. And so one of the things I'm hearing more and more people doing is learning enough about how to use the internet or how to use these communication tools or how to set up your website so they can go and train others in their community and how to do this. So you don't have to be an absolute genius or know everything. You have to know enough to then be valuable to the people that you're trying to serve. And I think there's just so many really good opportunities out there that we can create that we can't see, but are waiting for us to go and discover them. And I think it's really helpful in seeing those gaps and the trends um, is looking up the resources online and the books, uh, like the one you published, for example. I'm sure it's full of insights about what future might hold. And um, especially a, a lot of people don't think about futurists as consultants, um, but I personally do because I think being a futurist is a, is a such a vast uh, set of skills that, um, you know, I want to ask you more about how you got into uh, being in this area um, and uh, you own your business for about 20 years now. Uh, how did you get started and what were the lessons learned and failures in the beginning and now uh, have you found your niche where you're completely uh, comfortable and you think, you know, this is going to be uh, good for the future now? Yeah, well, I'm going to start at the end uh, in terms of the niche because the niche has changed. So we, we used to make the bulk of our money out of speaking and running executive education workshops for clients and you know, training them on how to do foresight and then doing scenario planning with them and helping them map out the future and identify, you know, what are the key strategic priorities and then helping them turn that into a strategy and come up with new product ideas. And then we would also do some research studies. So, you know, we did something for Heathrow Airport in the UK, looking at what would shape uh, the environment for them in the next 30 years. How might flying change? How might consumer demand change? How might technology change? Uh, so we used to do a lot of reports and, and the consulting and the training. And then we'd publish these books. With the, the pandemic, uh, things shifted quite dramatically. And, and now what we're finding is, People still want speeches, but now the biggest single thing I'm asked to do is join in board meetings where they want half an hour in the board meeting of just input from me on what I'm seeing that's changing and what the possibilities are. And then just listening to the rest of the conversation and feeding in ideas or challenges 
if the board or the executive leadership team are perhaps being too narrow in their thinking, not being imaginative enough, or you know, are not letting go of old views and assumptions. That's what everyone seems to want right now. Some still want um, the the just the presentation to the leadership team or the senior management or the whole organisation. That's still there, and, and we're doing a lot of that. But the one that's really grown is that joining the board meeting because that's what people really want is the strategic advice uh, as they're making the decision. The one that has really uh, there's a lot less interest in right now that we're seeing is doing those reports because no one's got time to do them or to read them and act on them. And, and it feels like the world is changing so fast that anything you write in a report and deliver in three months time will probably be out of date by the time you've uh, presented it. Yeah. it's, very, so, it's so, very relevant. so that's what we see going on right now. Now, how did I get there? Um, I was a, child of the 60s, very poor family, uh, had very little black and white TV. So we didn't used to get all the new toys and things that others at school would get or hear it and get the technologies that they would have in their home. But we had the TV and I remember seeing the moon landings and just being blown away by this idea that clever people could create something that could take us to another planet. It was mind blowing for me. Uh, and I knew that I wanted to be in that space of creating the future, exploring the future. So I went through school, university, studied electronics, computer science, went into consultancy, well, went into artificial intelligence research, then went into consultancy. And I've really spent a lot of time asking people why they're doing what they're doing. Uh, what is their view of the future that leads to the decisions they're making? Sometimes people just hope the future will be like the past. Sometimes people are just projecting what's going on now and assuming it will carry on. But what I found was that there were a few organizations who were really thinking quite deeply about how the future might be different. And we're using these techniques called foresight and future studies and particular scenario planning. I got really interested in that. And, and the more I looked at it, the more I thought, this is home. This is what I want to do for the rest of my life. And uh, I started learning about it. And then I was lucky. I'd already started to get some opportunities to speak at conferences. And I managed to convince a few of the conference organizers to let me speak at their events about the future. And it was really well received. People were intrigued by what I talked about. And it just grew from there. And, and gradually we evolved from doing uh, re-engineering and change management and strategy and all these things. I really focused in on this piece about the future, I set up my own business, and then over time uh, added the research and the, the speaking and consulting, and then added the publishing back in 2015 when we did our first book. We've now done six books. Uh, we've got two more on the way this year, and we now have this mix, which is the publishing, a webinar series, which we have sponsors for, and uh, doing the live input to clients via their board meetings or presentations to their top teams or designing and running workshops for them online. So it's, it's a nice mix. It's interesting to see how it's changed. The critical thing, I believe, is to have curiosity, to constantly be willing to learn, to be looking out there and being curious about the world and how that works and why is that happening and what's going on behind the scenes there rather than judging 
understanding. The more we understand, the more we can see the opportunities, the more we can see where the fragilities are in what's going on, and the more we can see where the next set of challenges, the next set of risks, and the next set of opportunities might be. And so that's a really nice place for me to be. It suits my personality. I like uh, talking about the future. I like being able to apply it to organizations and their challenges and really help them focus in on the parts of the future that could be most relevant to their organization and then make better decisions about the future today so that they rehearse what might happen, two or three different scenarios, and then they come back and decide the actions they want to take that will position them for whatever might play out over the next two or three years. And these are really you know, challenging times, they're really uncertain times. And you can already see some businesses repositioning themselves, reinventing their services, changing their business model, changing the way they charge, changing the way they deliver goods and services, moving their people out of the office to work from home on a permanent basis, and just reshaping themselves to be more flexible, more nimble, and more cost efficient in the world we're moving into. And I think that's, that's gonna be a common theme of the next couple of years. The people I find most inspiring right now are the ones who are willing to think the unthinkable. The ones who are looking at the worst case scenario and saying, okay, let's say the pandemic isn't controlled well for a couple of years and we don't eliminate it. And we have a deep recession that lasts maybe a couple of years they're willing to think about it. And they're saying, what would we do? How would we still make money? How would we still grow? How would we still create value for our customers and create a viable business that allows us to employ people and pay them well and also earn you know, a reasonable return for ourselves? Because people forget when we talk about an economy shrinking by five, 10, 20%, that still means that the bulk of the economy is still there money is still being spent, sectors will still be growing within that. And it's about targeting where we can put ourselves between the people who have money and the needs that they need fulfilled. And if we can be the ones doing it, then we can create viable futures for ourselves. So right now, I think every business leader has a challenge of becoming a futurist. And uh, I think it's, it's a part of being the entrepreneur. Um, yeah, and I think there are, there are so many exciting niches at the moment. The, the, the challenge is just to make sure that we're on our toes, we're looking at where we might be, and we're willing to experiment a little and explore how we might take advantage of those niches. I think this is a good time to be doing that. Yes. Um, well, thank you so much for uh, so many insights that you shared with us today. And uh, as a one last question, I've, I'm interested since you're a publisher and a writer um, and you've been in business for so long, what is one book that has made a tremendous impact on your life and business? Uh, actually, the book I'm going to choose is, is not a business book per se. Yes. Uh, it's a book called Jonathan Livingston Seagull. It's a novel. But it was a really inspiring book. It was about a bird basically flying a seagull uh, and the thoughts going through its mind. And 
it was re- it's a really inspirational book and it had me reframe the way I look at the world, the way I think, uh, and the way I interact with people. So for me, it's a, an incredible, uh, it's a short read, but it was incredibly inspiring. Yeah, thank you so much. Uh, I haven't uh, read that book, so I'll definitely pick it up. And uh, I am glad that we had this conversation and uh, I got a, a peek into your business and uh, you shared so many brilliant ideas and trends that uh, business owners can start using today. And uh, I encourage everyone to check out your website and uh, your um, uh, books that have been published uh, over these years, and especially the last one that you published. And uh, we're very, very excited about your next book coming up in September. Um, so we wish you good luck. And uh, uh, we would definitely want to hear back from you when you have some more news or some new developments. Uh, thank you so much for your time today, Rohit. Thank you. My pleasure. And you can find the books at fastfuture.com or on Amazon.